Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word uh, that hundreds of years from now, people will be reading these passages and they will be instructing and encouraging and strengthening and equipping people in a new generation unless you tarry. And we thank you that for hundreds of years, thousands of years, you have used this passage to strengthen and equip and encourage and, and to accomplish your purpose. And so we entrust your word to, uh, to you this morning, asking that you would take it, that you would use it, and that you would bless it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we're reading Psalm 91. Uh, we've been working through Proverbs, and for the last six or so uh, weeks, we've sort of tackled uh, some of those Proverbs, the deadly sins, uh, the, the sins that uh, Proverbs list that God hates the most. And so with a scorching sermon last week that really hit me hard, uh, I was preaching more to myself than anybody else in the room last week. We are taking a break from those Proverbs just to dwell on who God is uh, in a greater way this morning. And so we're going to look at Psalm chapter 91. In this song, the focus is that the most secure place that you could ever be anywhere is in God's hands. There is nowhere else more secure that you can be in in God's hands. I don't know if you ever felt insecure. Anybody feel insecure? Does anybody ever feel restless or fearful or afraid or doubtful? In all of those emotions, there is no greater place that you can be than in God's hands. Uh, and just to kind of illustrate that, to get us started, uh, I'm always reminded of sort of funny things that can happen on mission trips. Last summer, uh, my friend Bren and I went to Uganda, and while we were in Uganda serving, uh, the guy dropped us off from the airport to the hotel, and it was evening, and he said, uh, you probably don't want to leave the compound and wander after dark. Probably just best to stick around. And so we thought, okay. So that gives us a couple hours of daylight. And what he guy meant, in hindsight, was don't leave. Just stick around in the compound. And so Bren and I, we went outside of the compound, naturally, and we took a few paths and a couple of winding roads. And uh, as we walked through this area, uh, we stopped on a corner trying to find out where we were. And a van pulled up next to us. The guy opened the door uh, and jumped out. And you know, the, the only two white guys on the street in this corner of this dirt path. And Bren and I were like, all right, so let's get in. The guy, he opened the door, so we should probably just get in. And then as, as he opened the door, we looked at each other and we we're like, wait, what, let's, let's not just get in. Let's just, let's wait uh, and see. And it turned out that this was a, like a city bus. It's a city bus that looks like a Volkswagen van, but it could have just been anybody's van. And, and we just almost wandered into the situation that could have ended bad, but uh, in the end was really just normal. Uh, and there are plenty of brushes with danger that you can have on mission trips. I remember in, uh, a few years ago, an FBI agent uh, came to my office in Horsham, and uh, he was investigating and writing a report about a Kurdish terrorist cell, and he had found out that uh, on a mission trip 15 years ago, I had been in this Roman um, suburb that we had been working with this Kurdish group. And as we went into their, uh, their compound the first day, there was incredible readiness for the gospel. And so we began to share the gospel, we began to talk, we began to play chess and drink tea and 
there were maybe a hundred Kurdish refugees there. And so they invited us back the next day, and we were going to come back and we were going to bring uh, these Jesus films and literature, and we were welcomed back. And so the next day when we, when we got there, it was a totally different vibe. There were maybe an additional 70 young men, uh, 19 to 25-year-old men, and they were not happy to see us, and they were, it was just a very different vibe than it was the day before. And so immediately, me and the four or five other guys, uh, one of the two guys, they went with the Jesus film, and they went upstairs into this room, and they were going to show them the materials, and then another guy, uh, he just didn't feel right, so he left, and it was just me and my translator, and we wandered into the back part of this room. Through the corridor, I could see three or four Mercedes long stretch cars with flags on them kind of pull up and these Italian men in suits got out and uh, they sort of wandered back into the room and I was in this huge area where there was maybe 200 people in the room and uh, this everything got quiet and I kind of turned around and I saw these three men in suits pull up a chair and sit directly in front of me and all eyes were on me in this room this you know 23 24 25 year old guy and and they started to ask me all these questions. And they began to ask me the same question in a variety of ways, maybe 10 or 12 times. They searched my backpack. They took my cameras. They looked through everything. And they kept asking me these questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? And I was nervous, but at the same time, I, I felt secure. Because I realized that there's no safer place to be than in God's hands. And, and at the time, they confiscated things and they left and they all piled all the equipment and the Jesus films and all the stuff, and they took them in the car and they left, and they left us alone and made us leave. And this is what the FBI agent was coming to find out. More information about this group, more information about where it was, and I could pinpoint the place on the map that it was. And so I, I thought, well, how much trouble could I have been in? When I asked this agent this a few years ago, he said, they were trying to decide if they should kill you on the spot or take you out or kidnap you or they wanted to know because oftentimes they will go in to these foreign places uh, undercover as missionaries right and, and they're going to go into these places and and so they were trying to determine who you were and in that moment I realized just how serious the situation was I probably didn't realize it at the time but what I realized more than anything was that in God's hands I was absolutely secure in that place and in that trouble. Psalm 91 describes the safest place you can be as in God's hands. The safest place you can be is in God's hands. Let's read it together. The passage says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I want you to pick up on protection language here. I want you to take note of the promises and the protections that God gives to His people. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. 
You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because He holds fast to me, seven promises here, because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him, I will protect Him, because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. And with long life, I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. A couple of things I want us to see as we sort of unpack this passage. A couple of key questions. You are absolutely secure in the Father's hands. Absolutely secure. You'll see that by the end of our time together. Second thing you'll see, nothing gets through without the Father's permission. The difficulties that do get through, the trials that you will go through, are ordained by the Father for your good and His glory. Think about Romans 8.28. Third thing we're going to discover is, does this psalm somehow make false promises? Does this psalm somehow overpromise and underdeliver? I don't know if you've heard, some people can overpromise and overboast and then underdeliver. But does this psalm do that? Will your life be free from trial? We're going to make sense of that. How do you make sense of these promises? And the last thing I want us to see in this time together is that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the ability to change you fundamentally in deep ways. And it will work those changes out to the surface of your life so that you are able to trust in God, to to just rest in faith under the most extreme and difficult circumstances. So let's start and just take a, a look at the psalm in this way. First, I want you to see all the many dangers, toils, and snares, right? that he lists in Psalm 91. Just sort of glance with me. Verse 3, he's going to deliver you from the snare of the fowler. That would be a a person who traps birds using nets and other kinds of ways that they would trap somebody. And uh, so if you feel entrapped by something, he's able to deliver you. The deadly pestilence might be some disease, might be some illness, might be some sickness, might be in some way something supernatural, this pestilence that will come. And it says, in light of those, He will cover you. Uh, look at the verse 5 and 6. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by the day, nor the pestilence that stalks you in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Verse 7 describes an army falling all around you. And He says, you will only look with your eyes. Verse 10, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. Also verse 10, no plague will come near your tent. He says that He will not strike your foot against a stone. Verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, which could be an allusion to the dark forces of the enemy. Because He holds fast to me, and then He gives these great promises. So you can see these terrors, these terrible things all around Him. You wouldn't invite any of these things into your house. You wouldn't want any of these things to affect the people you love. And yet the psalmist is describing the worst circumstances that he can imagine. And in the midst of those circumstances, he's saying, I will be with you. I will protect you. I am there for you. 
The Father protects the people that He has purchased. I had a very difficult situation a few weeks ago where I had to sit with a family whose loved one is incarcerated for a second time. And as we're describing a plan of action, what to do, how to handle this situation, we got to a position where they were asking about legal things and parole and attorneys and court dates and all these things. And just to sort of cut through all that, we had to describe... What does rock bottom look like for this guy? What does rock bottom look like? And how can we not be pillows to keep this person from hitting rock bottom? How can we help them get to a point where they cry out to God for strength and for help? And in many ways, many of us, God is trying to break somebody and we can sort of stand in the way of His breaking of people by maybe trying to rescue them in some way. And what's needed in those difficult circumstances that I sat around and tried to describe to the family how tough love is a a real love as it removes the safety nets that we often cushion people from the fall that would cause them to cry out to the Lord in faith and trust. And the point of all that is that God is able to rescue those who are His, but it requires us getting to a point where we become His. You can look at these promises and they seem conditional, right? Conditional promise. You understand this, kids. If you clean your room, we will go get ice cream, right? Conditional. We will not get ice cream if what? If you don't clean your room, right? If then. It's cause and effect. These promises seem to describe cause and effect. Look at verse 1. The one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 3, He will deliver you from the snare. He will do all these things, all these promises. Look down to verse the promise in verse 14, the condition, because He holds fast to me in love, because He pursues and endures through trials, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him. Because He knows my name, When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in all these ways. I will satisfy Him. It seems to be conditional, these promises. That God will do for you if you are in His hands. For those of us in Christ, these promises become real. This isn't a a false promise. These promises become real. The protection He provides gives two images. An impenetrable fortress and these bird's wings that describe a tender love of a mother for the baby, and yet the enduring, impenetrable strength of a fortress. And so in these promises, the immediate question is, does this mean that there will never be any trouble or trial or difficulty in our life? I think the language is interesting. It says, I will save you in trouble, not from it. I will save you in the day of trouble, not from the day of trouble. It reminds us that God is able, but He often allows difficulties and trials and hardships to come into our life so that we will cry out to Him, so that we will, as my friend in prison that I'm praying for, will hit rock bottom and realize that the greatest place you can be is in the Father's hands. The most secure place you could be is to know the God who will protect you 
anywhere from anything unless He has a purpose for the trial that He sends your way. You think about the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. They were about to be thrown into the fire, right into this fiery furnace if they didn't fall down and worship. And they realized that the, the greatest place we can be is in that furnace with God rather than outside of this furnace bowing to this false God and have our life. And so what they said is true. God is able to deliver us. He's able. But even if He doesn't, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to bow down. And once they were thrown into the furnace, uh, they looked and saw, and it said there was a fourth person in the fire with them, one like a son of man. And as He was in the flames with them, they pulled them out, and all four, all three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were completely fine. Not a hair was singed. There wasn't a smell of smoke on them. Which illustrates that God is able and can protect you under any circumstance. Never amazes me. I'm always surprised how you open the oven after it's been preheated and like your eyebrows, your face melts. I don't know why I bend down and look into the fire. I can't imagine looking into this fiery furnace and God being able to protect them and rescue them. But He can, and He does. And so it leads us to this ending where we ask the question, why does He allow trials then? Why do, why do we go through difficulties? And you remember in, in the Gospels when Jesus was talking to Peter, and right before Jesus, right before they went to the garden to pray, before the crucifixion, before the trials, everything before that night, that night Jesus looked at Peter and He said, before the cock crows, you know, three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, there's no way, there's no way. And then Jesus said, listen, Satan has asked me if he could sift you. And, and, and he has asked me if I could give you this trial. And I prayed for you so that when your faith, when you're restored, you will be restored and strengthen your brothers. What is Jesus saying? He's saying he asked permission and I gave it to him because you're going to go through this trial. I permitted it, and I predicted it, and I prayed for you through it, and then I'm predicting that you're going to be okay through the end of this. What's the point of these trials? What's the point of the difficulty that you go through? Why, if God can rescue you, why doesn't He? <laughs> Has anybody ever asked that? He's able. He's just not willing, which just leads to some interesting prayer meetings that I've had, Right? As, as you understand and grapple with the truth that God can deliver you, but at times He chooses not to. You think of the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. God is able to deliver her, paraplegic, uh, diving uh, at the age of 18, was, uh, was completely paralyzed. Knowing that God could heal her and hasn't, she has made statement that for all these years, for these 50 years that that God is, in, is able to, but in the ways He's inflicted her, has given her a greater ministry and has touched more lives through her affliction than He ever could have through her private healing. And that's a tough thing to swallow, that, that God will often allow a trial and difficulty to come into your life. Though He's able to protect you, He often allows them to come for a season and for a reason. He is able to protect you even though the trials come, to cause you to rest in Him, to cause you to be dependent on Him. 
And we wouldn't cry out to Him if we, if we didn't afflict us at times. Uh, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12 uh, that God gave him a messenger of Satan to torment him. You remember that passage? He said to keep me from being so prideful and so arrogant about the way God had used me, He actually provided for me a, a satanic messenger as a thorn in my flesh. And he said, I pled with the Lord three times, I pleaded, please remove this thorn from my flesh. And the Lord said, no, my grace, you remember it? My grace is what? My grace is sufficient. My power is actually perfected in your weakness. And when you're weakest, you're, you're at your strongest because you're fully dependent and trusting in God. This is what Peter had to learn. This is what all of us have to learn, that trials and difficulties and, and afflictions come, not because God doesn't love you, and not because He's not able to rescue you, but He uses those things for a season and for a reason, for a purpose. But it never diminishes the fact that He is worthy to be trusted, that He's a strong tower, that He's a fortress, that He protects you, and that the most secure place you can be, even in the season of trials, is in His hands. I remember a guy named Chris Pleckenpole. Uh, I went to Bolivia with Chris and invited him to come speak at the church that sent Ridgeline out from Riverside. How many of you remember Chris Pleckenpole? Do you remember some of you? Chris came and spoke, and as he spoke, he's a, uh, an Army Ranger and a West Point grad and was this uh, uh, war hero guy in, in Iraq. And as he began to describe the difficulties and the trials and the struggles he had. He said, I, I was so overwhelmed by the death and the heat and the, all the, everything around us that I began to take two chairs and I set them in a private tent and I would just put one here and I would talk to God as though he were in this chair and I would just tell him all of these things I was going through. He said, I began to do that every day and my strength was renewed as the Lord strengthened me. And one of the privates under him came to him and said, where do you find your strength? And he said, and he shared the gospel with him. This guy gave his life to Christ and he began to join Chris in the tent. And as Chris was telling this story about this guy joining him in the tent and, and they were finding strength in Christ in the midst of the worst situation they could. Rolling convoys through Fallujah, right? In all these situations, Chris described the, the protection of God best when he said the tank broke down in this convoy and, and at, the longer it broke down, the longer we sat in this main stretch, we would just begin to hear pings of sniper fire pinging off the sides of the tank. And he said the longer we sat, the louder it got until finally he had to tell that private that he had led to Christ a few months earlier, you need to go outside and fix the tank. And this guy, uh, you know, Chris looked at him, and he, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he basically said, the Lord will protect you. He is able. Psalm 90, he is able to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He is able to shield you. But if he doesn't, you know, glory to God. And this guy got out there, and he said it took him 45 minutes to fix the leak in this tank to get it moving again to get the convoy going and he said the sniper bullet they were coming all around him and he, he he said i never felt more secure i never felt like god had me in his hands more than i was in the line of fire like that 
And as he began to, to, to get out there, you could just imagine all these angry snipers. I'm aiming right at the guy. Right? And they're not hitting anything. He said it was as though angels were fighting and batting away bullets that were landing all around me. Listen, only God can provide that kind of peace and protection in the midst of the storm. Now, you may be in a, a terrible storm. You may be filled with fear and insecurity and difficulty and trial and, and really going through it. I just need you to know that there is no more secure place for you to be than in the hands of God the Father. I'll close with this verse in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. That promise will be fulfilled in eternity. Though we will die, we will rise to life. It's what the baptism describes. It's what our faith in Jesus describes is that He is a living, risen Savior. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Listen, no one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, verse 29, My Father who has given them to me, He's greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. There's no stronger place for you to be than in the Father's hands. And there are times when God will test your trust. In the life of your children, He may say, I love them more than you do. I can protect them even though they leave. Why could I leave? Why could I send Kennedy to Spain this summer on a plane? Because of this passage. Because God loves her more than I do, more than Julie does. And she is safe in his hands around the world, anywhere. And that goes for you if you are in Christ. There is no safer place to be. And if that's true, then the opposite is true that there is no worse place to be than outside of Christ. There is no more dangerous place for you to be outside of Jesus Christ. He is able to save those who are His. My sheep know my voice. Father, we thank You that in Your hands we are secure. Would You forgive us when we worry and when we get anxious and when we stress and when we allow fear to overwhelm us? We thank You that we can rest in You. We can actually trust in You. We can put our faith in You and believe that You, greater is He who is in You than He who is in the world. That in Christ, though the enemy talks and rages, He has no actual power other than what You allow Him to have. He has a short leash. And we thank You that throughout the universe, You reign supreme. And that You are able to deliver. Would You help us to rest in You to trust in You, to fully believe that that is not only possible, but true in any and every circumstance. And would You give us grace and strength to persist through trials, though painful, uncomfortable, difficult, in all those ways, would You help us to, like Paul, acknowledge that Your grace is sufficient and that Your power is made perfect in weakness. Would You let us run this race with perseverance and give us endurance We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.